I do love the word unstoppable, especially when you think about it in terms of the gospel context. Unstoppable. Reminds me of forward momentum. Reminds me of God's expanding work in our hearts and in his church. Unstoppable. Reminds me of hope. Reminds me of victory. Reminds me that no matter what's going on in this very crazy world right now, would you agree? That God is in control. And that God's will is going to be done. But you know, sometimes it doesn't feel like our lives are unstoppable. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like we're at a standstill, doesn't it? Maybe you feel that way in your life. Maybe you feel like your life is at a standstill. You want to move forward with God, but as we sometimes say, you try to take one step forward with God and you end up taking three steps backwards in your life. You're not gaining. It feels like you're feels like you're losing. Is that how your life feels this weekend? Like you're not moving forward with God, but the God is actually pushing you back. You know, sometimes you feel like you serve God with all your heart, with all your strength. You sacrifice. You try to do what is right, and God rewards you with hardship, with difficulty, with loss. And you wonder, what is that all about? God, I really want to live for you. I really want to please you. The result is, my life seems to be going backwards. You seem to reward me with with pain rather than gain. With subtractions rather than blessings. My company, my ministry, my family, it just feels like, God, what we get in return is so difficult. In other words, sometimes we ask the proverbial question that people have written books about. And that is, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever looked at somebody else's life, a good person's life, a a, a Christian person's life, and wonder, why do they have to go through so much hardship, so many difficulties? Have you ever wondered that about your own life? Have you ever just, you know, stood in the mirror and wondered, God, I don't get it. I know I'm not perfect. I I know I've sinned. I know I haven't pleased you uh, all the time. But God, I'm trying so hard. Why do these bad things keep happening in my life? Those are real questions, aren't they? That we all face from time to time. We want to be unstoppable, but it feels like God has us actually standing still or moving backwards. Well, I don't know if it's much comfort for you to know this this weekend, but you're not alone. Some of God's best and greatest servants have experienced a stall out in their life, have experienced bad in return for sacrifice and for good. And one of those individuals is known as John the Baptist. Let's all say his name together, both campuses. Ready? John the Baptist. John was an extraordinary man, chosen by God from the womb to be the forerunner who would announce the coming of his holy and precious son, 
our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we read a little bit about that in John chapter 1 and verse 29. If you have your Bibles out, your electronic Bibles, grab them this weekend. They're going to help you, and I encourage you to do that. But John chapter, 20, uh, John chapter 1, verse 29, John is speaking, and it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Down in verse 32, John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. Verse 34, I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So what a conviction John had. What knowledge and insight John had to declare that the Messiah has come. And then John's circumstances changed. John was a a kind of guy that spoke the truth. Didn't always speak the truth in love, but he certainly spoke the truth. He was a prophet. Bottom line guy and would point out sin, call you repentance. And that got John into some trouble because he pointed his finger at a man named Herod Antipas who was a ruler regionally. And he said to Herod Antipas, you have sinned against God. You've had an affair with your half-brother Herod Philip's wife Herodias. You've divorced your wife. Now you've taken her as your wife. That's wrong. Well, I didn't go over very well with Herod Antipas or Herodias or Herodias' mother. Yes, we have mother-in-law problems in this passage. John finds himself in jail. Some scholars think that John may have been put in prison in that jail for up to two years. If you know the story of John the Baptist, you know how his story ends. One day Herodias is dancing, a very sexual kind of dance evidently, before Herod Antipas and his friends. And Herod has said, I am so pleased, I'll give you whatever you want up to half the kingdom. She conferred with her mother and she said, John's head would be enough. John the Baptist literally was decapitated. The head was brought to appease the daughter mother-in-law. It was while John was in prison, for however long he was in prison, that he sends an interesting question by way of messengers to Jesus. The question is found to us in verse 19 of Luke chapter 6, if you want to turn open uh, there with me, please. Excuse me, Luke chapter 7. Turn there with me for a moment, would you? And I want us to see this story together. All right? Luke chapter 7. And we're going to come down to verse 19. Now, listen to the question. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples. And he sent them to the Lord to ask him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting Or should we keep looking 
for someone else? That's an interesting question. Given the fact that it wasn't too long ago that John had declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I have testified. I have seen him. I know him. This is God's chosen Lamb. And now he's saying, I want you two to go find Jesus. I want you to ask him, are you really the Messiah? And what's fascinating about the, the, the passage there, it says he asks them to do this after they tell him all the things that Jesus had been doing. Now, if you go up a little further in the passage, you'll look and see what Jesus had been doing. He had been raising the dead to life. He had been curing and healing people. In fact, some of the words that are spoken to us in verse 21, it says, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. So Jesus was doing a tremendous work. And it's out of this tremendous work that Jesus is doing that John has this question. Are you the Son of God? Are you really the Messiah? Why is John having doubts in the midst of all these miracles that God is doing? You know, we could ask the same question about ourselves sometimes. Isn't it interesting how we sometimes doubt God in the midst of all the great things that God has done and is doing in the world? What causes us sometimes, despite God's goodness and God's greatness, to sometimes question whether he's really God or not? That's that question I want you to imagine that we're visiting a prison together. And there's this long corridor, and there are cells lined up one after the other. And Jesus comes up to the first cell, and in that cell are people who are lonely, people who feel abandoned. And he unlocks that cell, and he says to them, you are loved. God has not forgotten you. God knows you. God has chosen you. Then he goes to the next cell, and he finds in that cell people who are suffering from physical pain, disease. And he opens that door, and he says, God heals you. And they're all healed. He goes to the next cell, and in that cell are people who have been struggling with sin in their life, adultery, murder, thievery. And Jesus said, if you repent, God forgives you. I'm offering you a new day start. And he opens that door. And he goes to another door. And in that door, or in that cell, are people who are struggling relationally in their marriages, in their friendships, at work. They have financial issues and troubles. And Jesus says, I, I speak wisdom to you to know how to get out of these situations. I, I bring hope to your relationships. I bring restoration. And he lets them out. And then he comes by your cell. He looks through the bars of your cell at you. And he smiles. And he waves. And he keeps walking. Everybody else is 
coming out of the cell, jumping and praising God and hallelujah and look what he's done for me. But you, you are left in your cell. And all he does is smile and wave at you. Think about John the Baptist. The forerunner who proclaims that Jesus is the son of God. Who executes his responsibilities to the T. Who then gets out of the way. And is now in a dungeon, in a prison, facing execution. Everybody else is getting out of their cell, their imprisonment, emotionally, financially, physically, spiritually. But John, who's done everything right, in essence has Jesus smile and wave at him. Does it ever feel like that to you? Do you ever feel like everyone else is getting out of their prison? But no matter how I try to please God, no matter how I try to do the right thing, Jesus just kind of smiles at me, waves, and then goes on his way. You know, sometimes God doesn't seem fair, does he? Has anybody ever thought that beside me? Yes. Have you ever been afraid that for thinking that you were going to go to hell? (laughs) Well, you're not. God can take it. Some of his greatest servants have struggled with that as well. But now I want you to look at what John has to say Uh, excuse me, what Jesus has to say about John. Chapter 7, verse 24. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go in the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. What's that mean? On the one hand, Jesus said, of all the men born of women, there's no one greater than John. I mean, John was chosen by God to declare the coming and the presence of the Messiah. And as we said, John executed his ministry just as God prescribed for him to do it. And John got out of the way. He decreased so that Jesus could increase. He was always pointing, it's not me, it's not me, it's him. It's, it's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes the way, away the sin of the world. He is the Son of God. Wow. Because he humbled himself so much, there was greatness in him. 
But on the other hand, Jesus goes on in the passage. He says to us, yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Who's he talking about? I think he's talking about all the people who are being set free from their prison. Even the least, even the least are being set free or being healed or being saved or being touched are being blessed while the greatest is being left in his prison. While the greatest is being left in his prison. That's the the strangeness of God's economy, isn't it? That sometimes God's greatest suffer the most. That in one sense, God truly is no respecter of persons. It's challenging for us to try to understand what God is doing at times like that. It's hard to be left behind when everyone else is moving forward. It's hard to be left behind when everyone else is being set, from the, set free from their prison. That bothers us. That, that just really gets to us. And we wonder, is there something wrong with me? Is God unfair? And I think that's why, I think that's why Jesus gave the words of verse 23. And I want us to look at them together because they're very important words to unlocking this passage. Let's look first of all at verse 21 so we have the context. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now here's verse 23. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Now that word is for John. You go back and tell John, happy or blessed are those who do not turn away because of me. And the word that Jesus uses there in the Greek is the word skandalion, from which we get scandal. The word literally means happy is a person who doesn't trip over me. Happy is a person who doesn't fall over me. John, you'll be blessed if you don't trip over me, fall over me based on your circumstances right now. Isaiah the prophet wrote in, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, these words about Jesus. He said, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. John, John the Baptist in prison, don't, don't fall over me. Don't stumble over me. Keep your bearings. Don't let what is happening, don't let what is happening cause you problems. What is the issue that's being talked about here? The issue boils down to expectation. Say it with me together, both campuses. Expectations. We all have them. We all have expectations of God, don't we? If I am truly a good person, 
God should, and you fill in the blank, however you would. If I'm obedient to God, even when I'm severely tested, and I don't have an affair, and I don't uh, look at pornography, and I don't steal, and I don't do those wrong things, I, I, I'm obedient to God. If I'm obedient to God, I should fill in the blank. If I defend the weak, if I sacrifice my life for others, if I give up all my finances, if I tithe and if I give to the unstoppable campaign, if I do all these things, then then God should you fill in the blank. If I suffer, if I suffer for the right reasons, God should fill in the blank. We all have our expectations that that if we do our part, God should do something back, don't we? And it doesn't even have to be about me. If I do all this, then God should bless all them. If I do all this, if we do all this, then why doesn't God come through? Why is there suffering? Why is there hardship? Why is there loss instead of gain? We have expectations of how we believe that God should behave and act in accordance with certain things that we do say, sacrifice, or give up. And God says, you will be blessed if you don't let that cause you to stumble spiritually. When you're left in prison and everybody else, everybody else is being set free. One of my favorite authors is Erwin McManus. And Eric McManus has a statement. I just, I, I, it's profound. It's simple. It's profound. Listen to what he says. Erwin McManus says that doing the will of God, being obedient to the will of God, can be the hardest place in life. Would you agree with that? Being obedient to the will of God can be one of the hardest places in life. Go back sometime and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul will give you a list of where obedient, being obedient to the will of God led him. Beatings, imprisonment, shipwreck, near death, hardship, Sickness. I mean, it's a long list that he goes through of all that he had to suffer because he was obedient to the will of God. But don't just think about John the Baptist. Don't just think about Paul. Think about Jesus. Do you know that being obedient to the will of the Father was the hardest place to be for Jesus? It meant being born as a human being. On this earth. It meant. Being tempted in the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights. Without sleep. Without water. Without food. It meant being falsely accused. And ridiculed by his enemies. It meant being called the devil sometimes. It meant having his best friends. Deny him. Betray him. It meant being beaten unrecognizable 
being crucified on a cross, it meant as he approached death to experience being forsaken by his own father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes, sometimes, being obedient to the will of God is the hardest place to be in life. And we don't always, we don't always understand that, do we? So imagine what it was like when the two disciples, the messengers that John sent to ask Jesus, are you really the one? Imagine what it was like when they came back. I, I imagine John in his prison and, and these men come back and John is anxious. Okay. Uh, what did what did he say? Well, Pastor John, uh, Jesus wanted us to tell you that the lame walk, the blind they see, the deaf they hear, the dumb they can speak. <laughs> People with leprosy are, are made whole again. Why the dead? are being raised to life again. Pastor John, we have seen it. It's true. Okay. Uh, Did you have a word for me? Uh, Pastor John, uh, yes, he did. So what did he say? Well, Pastor John, Jesus said that you'll you'll be blessed if you don't stumble over the fact that he's going to leave you in this prison and you're probably going to die. Wow. Sometimes being in the will of God is the hardest place to be in life. But in that moment, it is all about faithfulness. Paul closed his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, verse 58, by saying these words, My dear brothers and sisters, Be strong and immovable. Don't you love that? Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Even when you're in prison. Be strong and immovable when you have cancer. Be strong and immovable when you lose your job. Be strong and immovable when your marriage isn't going so well. Be strong and immovable when your children are rebelling. Be strong and immovable when the world makes fun of you and laughs at you. Be strong and immovable when you take three steps backwards instead of four steps forward. Be strong and immovable when everybody else is sitting set free and you stay in your prison. Be strong and immovable. Make the best of it. Let your light shine 
for God and fulfill his will. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a young theologian, a profound intellectual mind who had such a promising future. But during World War II, he took a stand with others against Adolf Hitler, and he ended up in prison. And just before Hitler was defeated, he was executed at the gallows. One of the last letters he wrote to his fiancée carries some very powerful words that I want to share with you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's last letter to his fiancée from the Gestapo prison at Christmas 1944 before being hanged by the SS for resistance to Hitler went like this. Bonhoeffer wrote her, These will be quiet days in our homes. But I have had the experience over and over again that that the quieter it is around me, the clearer do I feel the connection to you. It is as though in solitude the soul develops senses which we hardly know in everyday life. Therefore, I have not felt lonely or abandoned for one moment. You must not think that I am unhappy. What is happiness and unhappiness? It depends so little on circumstances. It depends really only on that which happens inside a person. I am grateful every day that I have you, and that makes me happy. Now, pull his fiancée out of that and put Jesus in there. And that should be true for every one of us, shouldn't it? What is happiness and unhappiness? but a feeling. The truth is, I am happy every day. I am blessed every day. Why? Because I have you, Jesus, in my heart. Let's pray. Father, we don't have the easiest answers for why our lives sometimes come to a standstill. We don't always understand why bad things happen to the best people, your people. But Father, help us not to stumble over that fact. But to take our place with John the Baptist, Paul the Apostle, Jesus the Son of God. Choose, O God, despite our circumstances to be immovable and steadfast to carry out our lives to the best that we can for the glory of God. To be happy 
because you are in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.